Are you interested in joining a community of policy influencers working toward positive change? Consider Seton Hall University's results-driven executive graduate programs in international affairs. You can customize your studies through research in regional areas and specializations, including conflict management, global health security, and more. As a graduate candidate, you can leverage a collaborative and dynamic professional platform that includes one-on-one faculty mentorship, career workshops, international seminars, and discussions with global leaders on campus, at the UN headquarters in New York, and in Washington, D.C. The program is flexible. Study full-time or part-time, online or at the New Jersey campus just 14 miles from New York City. To learn more or sign up for a webinar, click the link in our episode description. Nigerians are all holding their breath right now in anticipation of who will be their next president as we record this episode. It's been a keenly contested election between the old guard and the young people-backed third force. But we've allowed ourselves some fresh air with this new episode of Unscripted. And of course, I am Damilola Banjo. Hello listeners, I'm Kele Chuku Ogu. I'm talking indoors and hoping this election has a peaceful outcome. On this episode, we spoke with Ambassador Pedro Comisario, Mozambique's permanent representative to the United Nations and president of the Security Council for March. We also spoke with Ryan Cummins, Senior Associate Africa Program at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. On February 23rd, a day before this interview with the ambassador, Mozambique abstained from a vote asking Russia to leave Ukraine. The Southern African country was one of the 32 countries that abstained from voting on the UN General Assembly resolution. We asked the ambassador what influenced that decision. Uh, The abstention for two reasons. Uh, One, the constitution of the Republic of Mozambique says that uh, Mozambique embraces a policy of peace only resorting to a force in case of a legitimate self-defense. This is number one. Number two, our constitution says in case of conflict, it is important to resort to a negotiated settlement of that conflict. These two norms guide our foreign policy in dealing with the the different uh, conflicts around the world. Mozambique's independence fighters Filimo, who are still in power today, received backing from communist Europe to free it from Portugal in the years leading up to 1975. Just as has been suggested as the reason for neighboring South Africa's decision to vote abstain on condemnations of Russia's occupation of Ukraine, 
We wondered whether the same would hold for Mozambique. It would be a reductionist uh, view to say that well, our present vote was conditioned by our former friendship. You can recognize that, yes, we are grateful to them. And I don't know whether you know that in 1960, when the resolution which outlawed, forbade uh, colonialism, and it decided that uh, peoples and countries under colonial uh, domination must be free. It was taken, that resolution was taken here. 1514, the number of the resolution. You know that most of the Western countries, if not all, did not join that resolution. They abstained. Eh? When we were fighting for our liberation, for our independence, but uh, history is history. Now we do not take decisions based on the past, on the history. We take decisions based on our own interests. Our expert comments seem to feel it's more about historic ties than it is present foreign policy. Um, you know, there's obviously historic alignment between Mozambique um, and Russia. You know, Russia assisted the Frelimo government, um, you know, during the Civil War, for example. Um, they were key, you know, kind of contributed to the current ruling party. And I think that, you know, um, if I can call it political and diplomatic ties between the two countries have, have pretty much been, been relatively strong, um, you know, since the, the end of the Civil War in 1992. Um, and, you know, the various stages of democratization that, uh, you know, Mozambique has, has undergone, you know, under the Frelimo-led um, administration. Um, and we saw kind of cooperative agreements between the countries actually persist, um, you know, I think at recently as 2019 to 2020, um, in the Cabo Delgado conflict, for example, um, we saw that, uh, you know, Russia had deployed some of their military assets and some members of the private military contractor, the Wagner Group, um, to Mozambique to assist the country in its counterterrorism operations. And that kind of just underlined that there was, uh, you know, the first port of call for the Frelimo administration in kind of responding to what was the preeminent security threat in the country was due to kind of, you know, focus and, and call to the attention of, of Russian uh, military assets and Russian foreign military assistance, you know, in, in addressing these security concerns. And I think that that does speak a lot to a very strong and robust bilateral relationship um, between the two countries and probably which influenced, you know, Mozambique's position, you know, in terms of the, uh, you know, on the resolution, the UN resolution on Russia's invasion of, of Ukraine. Um, so I definitely think that it's, it's based to historic ties between the two countries, but which have definitely persisted within a, a contemporary context. At the Security Council, Mozambique will be holding its first open debate it will be on women, peace, and security. And it is geared towards the 25th anniversary of Resolution 1325. 
Mozambique considers this to be a very important theme, despite report of violence against women in the country. There have been reports that the police um, has at least in two, on two occasions um, in December of 2021 um, fired live rounds at crowd of mainly female protesters. Um, does this in any way challenge the credibility of your country's commitment to Resolution 1325? No, not at all. The government of Mozambique is one of those in Africa or in the world that uh, very much promotes the rights of uh, women. We say women's rights are human rights. Some incident might happen. If you look at our, the composition of our government now, there is a complete parity. 50 women, 50% men. So the government is strongly committed to respect the rights of women, to develop the conditions of women, and, and, and make sure that women play an essential role, not just in the development of our country, but in the consolidation of our own state. Mozambique's president, Felipe Niusi, would be at the Security Council to chair a debate on threats to international peace and security caused by terrorist acts. Uh, we are now under terrorist attack in the northern part of Mozambique, in the Cabo Delgado province, in some districts. But we, we are not doing it only for us because uh, Terrorism is a global threat. And in Africa, we are progressively uh, witnessing the Africanization of terrorism. The Southern African country has been fighting an insurgency that Ambassador Commissario believes has its roots outside of Mozambique. To help read out the militants, the government turned to the maligned Wigner group in 2019. That relationship was short-lived. Then it also partnered with private military contractors from South Africa and Britain before turning to Rwanda and the South African Development Commission for military support. We asked our two guests, if there's been any improvement with the switch in military partners. We are in the right direction and we resorted to some groups when we saw that our country was severely threatened. And now we are rebuilding our defense forces we are cooperating with other countries and uh, the situation is much, much better. Um, and, and during during the um, deployment of these PMCs within Mozambique, Mozambique's kind of conflict um, paradigm, if I can call it that, we, we didn't see any real significant gains 
being made against the insurgents. You know, there were just certain areas that were being protected, um, you know, strategic areas, as I mentioned, some of which was very much, uh, you know, linked to the um, regional gas sector. Um, but headway was just not being made um, against the insurgents. If anything, during this period, we saw an expansion in the operational capabilities, but also the geographical scope um, of the insurgency, you know, even though we had the deployment of, um, you know, these private military contractors, you know, in Cabo Delgado. I think when we saw the most significant changes was about August 2021. That is the time when we saw the deployment of the um, Rwandan Defence Forces, also the Southern African Development Commission mission in Mozambique, or SAMM, as we uh, call them by the acronym here in South Africa. Um, you know, they were the ones who really took the fight um, directly to the insurgents and where we probably saw the greatest degree of progress being made, you know, by state line forces against these insurgent groups and where we saw the recapturing of territory um, and also kind of a reduction in the operational capacity of the insurgents, you know, who obviously faced quite sustained counterterrorism operations. Um, so, yeah, I definitely think that the private military contractors didn't have as much success as the Mozambican government hoped that they would have, you know, during their time of, of deployment. We'll be right back. Are you looking for a talk show featuring leading global voices? Do you want to learn more about how international issues directly affect people locally? Global Connections Television presents the insights of global influencers at no cost to viewers and programmers. GCTV is independently produced and reaches more than 70 million potential viewers worldwide each week. The show covers everything from human rights to climate change, from peace and security to empowering women and girls. It features guests such as Dr. Jane Goodall, former UN High Commissioner for Human Rights, Mary Robinson, and Peter Yarrow of Peter, Paul, and Mary. The show also hosts expert voices from the private sector, academia, and labor and environmental movements. GCTV is available to public television media outlets, universities, and service clubs for distribution. To watch the show or find out more, click the link in our episode description. Now, back to the show. Kelechuko asks Cummins his opinion on African government using private forces against militants. We had the French ambassador on sometime last year, and he said mercenaries are not the way to go. Um, in line with what you've seen in Mozambique, how do you think African government should operate going forward? African countries in conflict, do you feel using private military contractors is still advisable? I think the, the, the key issue, as, as I see it, is that, you know, any form of kind of, you know, offensive responses to insurgencies or, um, you know, regional conflicts, I mean, at the end of the day, it treats the symptoms and not the causes. And, and the key issue um, I have um, when I speak, you know, in my personal capacity with the deployment of private military contractors in, in, in the first sense, you know, you're getting foreign boots 
you know, on the ground within your country. And I think that the key message that it firstly sends to both the local population, but also to the belligerent forces themselves is that, um, you know, the national government, you know, doesn't have the capacity to manage this conflict, you know, by themselves. And I think from an ideological perspective, it provides a boost, you know, for these insurgent groups because they already then posit themselves as being more of a legitimate presence within the regions that they operate, you know, than this foreign forces that are being deployed, you know, within these specific contexts to, to counter them. Um, secondly, I think the issue is, is that there's l- less control that one can actually have as a governmental institution or organization in regulating how private military contractors actually act and behave in areas that they are deployed. They essentially are private services that you know operates according to their own laws, their own uh, you know mission statements, um, their own legal frameworks to a certain extent. And I think that the other the other issue um, that one would would want to see more of, um, you know, within the African context is kind of, you know, greater inter-cooperation um, between African states in formulating their own security solutions um, to security dynamics, you know, as the adage goes, you know, African solutions to African problems. Because I think in this regard, we get, for, we firstly get greater cooperation between um, African states, which we know is is, is needed, um, you know, both from a diplomatic, military, um, and also even economic perspective. And I think that this lays the groundwork for that trust, you know, to kind of have African um, countries mobilize their their forces also against an enemy, which doesn't always have limitations in terms of what the objectives are. You know, the group that operates in, in northern Mozambique are not inherently focused on just operating in Mozambique. They probably have aspirations of extending the insurgency into southern Tanzania. Um, and, and you almost feel that this type of, of cross-border cooperation between states is intrinsic in, in kind of, you know, just constraining these groups' ability to expand their operational presence. Still on Mozambique's domestic issues, the first time I heard of a storm with a monica in Africa was Cyclone Ida in 2019. It caused damage worth $3.3 billion and affected four countries including Mozambique. It killed more than 1,500 people and it was at that time recorded as the second worst cyclone in history. Mozambique has known no reprieve since then. I mean, this year, it has started with Tropical Storm Freddy. Yet, Ambassador Comisario, personally hit by Ida himself, says much of what the country has received from the international community are just promises. Not much help is forthcoming to answer shortly your question. Uh, There have been many promises, but very little uh, uh, materialization of uh, those promises. Uh, In that respect, we could say we are disappointed. Uh, But the most important thing is also to uh, count on our own self-reliance. 
and uh, draw policies that can uh, lessen the problems of uh, climate change extreme uh, events. In that connection, our people, our government are involved in rebuilding uh, to the extent of our means in rebuilding the uh, the country uh, whenever uh, possible. I am from Beira, uh, the city that was uh, almost erased in 2020 with the Idai. My own house was, uh, well, the, the walls were there, but uh, everything else was taken, windows, roof, everything. Like many other Mozambicans, we committed ourselves to rebuild again. This is a very long and painful process. These problems of climate change come on top of our own development priorities, uh, which were not yet met since our independence up to now. The international community uh, makes commitment of $100 billion uh, to be disbursed every year, but these are empty promises. Why then is it too difficult for African countries to attract climate finance to build early warning systems and climate resilient structure? We turn to Cummins for some answers. I think, you know, if I also can be critical of the international community, I think there's also the realization that we do still have many countries who are climate in, climate change denialists, you know, at the highest uh, sense of leader, or highest echelons of leadership, if I can call it that. Um, or maybe they, they, they are kind of less focused on, um, you know, kind of combating climate change because obviously it has... Um, certain financial and political imperatives that these countries might be uncomfortable um, addressing. Um, so again, it's, it's it's a constant fight I feel for for relevance. Um, you know, when we're dealing with with developing nations in terms of how much, um, firstly, convincing the developed world, you know, who is kind of the, the the primary beneficiaries of a lot of the the financial aid that countries need to kind of enhance resilience against climate shocks. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of kind of um, action or convincing that is needed, um, you know, for, for them to kind of change their, their disposition regarding the issue of climate change. Um, I mean, we still see it today at the you know, at every level of, of international engagement, you know, commitments that are being made in terms of, um, you know, lowering the, the world's carbon footprint. Um, but it doesn't necessarily always kind of um, translate into tangible action. One of the segments of this podcast that we really like to um, get to is getting our audience to know who the ambassador is um, beyond um, the serious matters of diplomacy um, that the UN deals with. Um, so I'm going to be asking you... This is the best side. Let's go. <laughs> I think so too. And I agree absolutely that this is the best side because um, my editor was um, telling me one of the conversations that she had with you was that um, you graduated from Columbia University. You went to Columbia Law. I, I went to Columbia. I did journalism um, at Columbia Journalism Is that School. so? Yeah, that's very, when, very, when very are you soon. Ca- when are you coming to New York? 
for us to meet? I don't know, but definitely sometimes this year. And if you give me the permission, I would come look for you. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Thank you very much, Ambassador. And so I'd like to know how you find the New York um, in how you're enjoying living in New York. What's the experience been like for you? I left New York uh, 27 years ago. (sighs) Things must Uh, really have changed. Uh, a lot, uh, particularly the prices. True, inflation <laughs> so, everywhere. So, so it is more difficult to buy uh, in New York to buy anything. Uh, so the prices skyrocketed, and uh, but uh, it's okay. It's okay. New York uh, continues to be a, a very dynamic. Uh, a place, a dynamic city. I read a lot. So this is the best capital of the books, I think. That's the prize of this episode. We spoke with Ambassador Pedro Comisario, President of the Security Council for March. We also spoke with Ryan Cummins, Senior Associate Africa Program at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. We discussed Mozambique's historic voting pattern on resolutions condemning Russia's invasion of Ukraine, women's rights in Mozambique, the country's grip on Islamic militancy in Cabo Delgado, and the state's vulnerability to the warming globe. This episode was presented by Damilola Banjo and Kelechuku Ogo. Kelechuku Ogo was the producer, music was by Poddington Bear, Alison Lecce was the fact checker, and the editor is Dulce Lineback. This episode has been made possible with support from the Carnegie Corporation of New York, the Open Society Foundation, and you, our generous readers. Unscripted is available where you get podcasts. If you liked today's show, please share it with all your friends and rate us on iTunes. Thank you.